you, Jesus. Well, good evening, everyone. Merry Christmas. It is so good to see you here. And I realize that we have uh, family members that are visiting and friends that are visiting. I'm going to ask you to do something very much in keeping with the spirit of Christianity and in keeping with the season. Why don't you turn around, give half a dozen people a hello, a high five, an air hug, or depending on their comfort level, why don't you give them a hug if they're happy to do that. Come on, go meet somebody, greet somebody. Wish them a blessed, Jesus-filled season. Amen. <clears throat> Want to sing that last part again? You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Amen. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. Thank you. You can take your seats. Yeah. So good to have you here today. We're here to celebrate the greatest event that has ever taken place, and that is the birth, the coming of Jesus Christ, and uh, how God brought salvation to the world. Praise God. How many of you are excited that Jesus came to bring salvation to the world. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Well, as you take your seats this evening, I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. Now, do you guys want to take a seat up the front, or I'm going to share a little bit. We're going to take communion. Do you want to take a rest, or do you want to stay here? I mean, they just look so good, right? They dress the window. What can I tell you, you know? You take a seat? Okay. Give them a big hand as they take a seat. Thank you, guys. Amen. Christmas has come to be known for many, many different things. It's become so commercialized, it is a great season for raking in the profits. And unfortunately, it has become commercialized, and in doing so, has really lost so much of its meaning. We see the very, very first Christmas as recorded by Dr. Luke in his gospel, chapter 2. I want to read just a very short passage, starting with verse 8. Magi's had come, wise men had come from the east, not the Orient, but east of Jerusalem, which was Babylon. Daniel, when Israel had been Captured by the Babylonian Empire, Daniel was taken as a young man and he quickly rose up the ranks of political power and insightfulness. 
he became the wisest advisor to the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel outlived the king Nebuchadnezzar and served his son. And then when the Medes and the Persians had conquered uh, Babylon, Daniel continued to serve King Darius. History tells us that Daniel had established prophetic schools. He had taught men how to interpret scripture and how to interpret the prophecies and how to look and understand the signs of God. And so it is believed that the Magi came from the east. They came from the region of what was once the great Babylonian empire from the schools where Daniel had trained men in the scriptures and in the prophetic utterances of the prophets from earlier days. But not only did the Magi come because they recognized that this was the moment, the countdown, the prophetic say-so of God that a Messiah was going to be born into the world. But at the same time as the Magi came looking for this Savior, looking for this Messiah, looking for Yeshua, as the Hebrews referred to him, the anointed one, as they came looking for him, something very unique and very special was happening in a very common place. You see, one of the things I love about the gospel story and Christmas, the nativity is the beginning of the gospel story is that on one hand you have the wisest of the wise coming from a distant land to acknowledge the birth of the King of Kings, the Savior, God's Son. And then on the other hand you have another story unfolding that as the Magi were coming because they were in tune with the prophetic echoes from centuries before, and they recognized the season, God sends an angel. In fact, he sends a host of angels into a common field where common young shepherd boys were minding their own business and looking after sheep. What I love about this parallel is that, number one, magi came looking for the Christ. They came looking for the Messiah. One of the sad things about the generation we live in today, and I don't speak of this young generation, but the era we live in, people have become so busy with life, people have become so busy with their purpose and their goals, we forget to look for the Messiah, we forget to look, oh, God's calling Where's Lydia? Lydia, it's Pastor Nick. Your dad's calling me. I'm going to embarrass him. Hello, Pastor Nick. Hey, I just got home. We, uh, we just sat down to break bread. We did the seven fishes. That's awesome. Listen, your daughter just told me I need to cut you off. We're in the middle of our Christmas Eve service. How, how would you like to say hello to everyone? I absolutely, I will. <laughs> now, why am I not surprised? 
I don't think there's a conversation I've ever had with you or had, period, that you haven't interrupted. <laughs> Come on, I got the mic up to the phone. You might as well say hello to everyone. Well, listen, I pray for faith and grace every day. I feel a part of your ministry as a part of the body of Christ. And I, from the bottom of my heart, wish you the most merry, wonderful Christmas <sighs> celebration. Thank you. May you all have a healthy and extremely prosperous, prosperous new year. May that church be so small because you've touched so many new lives for Christ. Amen. And so many backsliders came back that yes. your walls cannot contain Come on. that congregation. Come on, so prophesy it, man, prophesy it. <laughs> so my blessings go out to all of you. Thank you. Merry Thank you, Pastor Nick. And Pastor Nick, while we have the church here, uh, on behalf of the whole church, and in a moment I'm going to get them to cheer or shout or clap, I want you to extend our warm greetings to your congregation and wish them and bless them from grace and faith here in Tampa. Come on, everyone, make a loud noise. All right, buddy, I'm going to go. Don't interrupt me again. And we'll talk. We'll talk. I don't know. After this, I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> God bless you, buddy. Take care. All right, man. Love you, All right. Love you too. Bye-bye. If anyone had a call, it had to be your dad. I'm glad he didn't start trying to crack jokes. Now, how do I pick that up and get back to a more serious note? But what I love about the parallel in the Christmas story is that from the highest and the wisest, People traveling from afar, looking for God's promise to come and shepherd boys. And you know what's interesting? God didn't send an angel to meet the highest and the wisest. He sent angels to greet just common folk, ordinary folk, working in a field, looking after sheep. See... To me, even this speaks of the character and the nature of God. And sometimes the higher up we get, the more stuck up we get. Sometimes. But I love the fact that God saved the greatest visitation for just ordinary people. I love the fact that God's not impressed with titles. I love the fact that God's not impressed with wealth. I love the fact that he's not impressed with what side of the railroad tracks we're born on, whether or not we have it all together or whether we have it all half undone. This is a God, the God that Jesus Christ came to reveal to humanity is a God who loves the whole world, irrespective of how we started and irrespective of what our ending is looking like. The Bible tells me in John 3.16, God so loved the world. Could you imagine what it was like for a creator to create and plan a destiny for his kids and to see the whole thing go, 
disastrously wrong. And to see each individual in the millions upon millions of people, the billions and billions of people, there isn't a heart cry that he doesn't hear. There isn't a pulse that he doesn't feel. And to know that this creator who had such great intention for humanity sees the brokenness of relationship, sees the abuse, sees the pain, sees the disappointment, and he knew it was never in the landscape that he painted. And so that very first Christmas morning, he sends a host of angels. He dispatches them, not to the Magi. The Magi had to go to, uh, to Herod and say, where is this child going to be born? And the priests of the day said, well, the, the Holy Scriptures prophesy that he would be born in Bethlehem. You know what I find really interesting? The Magi headed towards Bethlehem, but the priests, the religious church of the day, didn't follow them. They knew what town he would be born in. They even directed the Magi according to the prophecy. Now, I would think, I would hope that all the staff at Grace and Faith would have jumped onto that uh, traveling caravan and said, hey, we're in this with you. If you're going to find the, the Messiah and you say that from prophetic calculations, he is born, Bethlehem's the city, come on, we're all going. But the church of that day, the religious institution of that day had become so filled with form, with function, with ritual, that it lost the reality and the simplicity of the message. And what I love about this first nativity, this first Christmas message, is that God is touching the hearts of the high and the wise, the learned, the educated, those from other empires, and he's touching the hearts of little shepherd boys. And somewhere in between, the people who are religiously proud are missing out altogether. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. News that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. You see, we celebrate tonight not like the rest of the world does. This has become a season where we give gifts. And everyone's looking for the best gift, the perfect gift, the greatest gift, and every kid is anticipation of getting the greatest gift. You see, I remember when I was a kid, I was just like every other kid, I was waiting for my Christmas gift too. I'll let you unwrap the next one. When I get a, a vocal response like that, I know you're going to play along well with me. And so as a little boy, man, I would have loved to have gotten something like this. Man, a big bulldozer. It makes noise, too. 
Yeah, it doesn't make as much noise as Pastor Nick. Can't get it as loud as him. Lydia, you can let him know I said that. In fact, I command you to call him and tell him. <laughs> you can see we have a good relationship. We stir each other. We tease each other. Uh, when you're close with someone, you can do that. But we look for great gifts. Could you imagine as a little boy getting a gift like this here? Operating arm and et cetera, et cetera. Here, I'm going to give you the girl's gift. Why don't you open it up? But you got to stand up and face everybody. No, I didn't say you could take it home. <laughs> We're always looking for the perfect gift to get, to give. Could you imagine a little girl getting a realistic baby doll like this? Natalie, do you remember wanting a baby doll like that when you were? You have one, all right. All right. And every husband who's wise right now turns around to his wife and says, I have a real life baby doll. And then when we get older, you know, the gifts we look forward to are a little bit different. How many of you are the kind of people that when you get a gift and it's wrapped, you have to take it apart delicately? How many delicate unwrappers do we have here? You can see they're in the minority, right? I'm one of those rough and tumble here. Here's the bow. I can't find a, an edge here. Here we go. We got it. There we go. The greatest, a key fob to a brand new Tesla. No, it's actually a key fob to my 10-year-old Genesis. But anyway, play along with me. We look for the greatest gifts. We look for the perfect gift that would make the other person's heart skip a beat and maybe even garner a tear or two in their eyes. It's a season about gifts. But what we have failed to realize is that all throughout our lives, God is constantly trying to reach out to us to give us the greatest gift of all. And I could just imagine if under the Christmas tree there was a Christmas wrapped parcel and a kid opens it up and there's a plot. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And I could imagine how many kids would just say, yeah, all right, where's the next gift? And sometimes Christmas becomes exactly like that and we forget that the greatest gift of all isn't one that can be bought, and it isn't one that can be earned. It's the gift that God, out of his passion and love for us, chooses to invite himself into our lives, and we can say no, or we can say yes. See, John 3.16 says, God so loved the whole world. I don't care what color skin you have. I don't care whether you have money or you don't have money. It doesn't matter whether you've had a, a tremendous childhood or a horrendous childhood. The truth of the matter is that what I love about this gospel story 
that started that very first Christmas morning, the morning that Christ came to fill the world, is that God so loves the whole world irrespective of how broken it is, irrespective of how pompous it is, irrespective of how right or how wrong it is, God so loves the world. And you don't have a world unless you have a world of people. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if anyone would be humble enough, simple enough, genuine enough to believe on him, they won't perish, but they'll have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. Unfortunately, religion has put a face on God. I preached just last week the incorrect perception of God. And uh, I've been preaching on how do you perceive God? And too often religion has put a face on God that is filled with religious stigma. Religious overtones. And the amazing thing is that when Jesus came, he was constantly breaking the mold of religion. He did everything that was contrast to the religious people of the day. He loved people when Pharisees would have stoned those people. He accepted the ones that were not accepted, and he gave less attention to the ones that had high position and thought they had arrived. I love the fact that Jesus breaks from religion and he breaks from tradition. He breaks from those things that are so inflexible. And he showed us a face of God that is a face of a dad who genuinely loves us and genuinely cares and genuinely understands how messed up we get. I think one of the best pictures I can find in the Gospels is pictures like when the young woman was caught in a broken state in her life and she had probably had multiple affairs and she was caught in the act of, of, of adultery. And here's Jesus not spitting at her, not looking down at her, not despising her. While the rest of the religious world wanted to pull out their rule book and determine how many rules she broke, Jesus was looking deep into her soul and counting how many times her heart was broken. I love the fact that he looks beyond our sin and he sees the need inside of each and every one of us. And not only is he the gift that God sent that he was willing to die on the cross, he's the gift that's willing to love us every day of our broken lives. He's the gift who's willing to walk with us when we're in confusion and uh, in darkness. He's the gift who will understand us. He's the gift who will read us. People can look at us and they can be fooled by the smile on our face and not see the pain in our heart. And I love the fact that Jesus is the gift who reads us right every day of the week, and he doesn't run and take cover. He comes and stands by our side and says, I'll walk with you. Come on, give the Lord a hand 
If he's been that for you, if he's been there for you, come on, keep giving him a hand and let everyone else know that that's the kind of Jesus. He's not the Jesus of religion. He's the Jesus of relationship. He's the Jesus who lives and cares and loves each and every one of us. The greatest gift doesn't come in wrapping paper like this. Now, if anybody knows how to turn that into a Tesla key, I'll take it. But it still won't come close to the gift of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, give him something. Come on, give him something. In John chapter 1, I read you John 3, 16. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. In the first chapter of the gospel of John, John writes these words starting from verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He came to those which were his own, but his own did not receive him. You see... Isaiah the prophet prophesies about the Messiah and he says this, the very first thing he says, he was despised and rejected. Here, John immediately echoes, he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. He came to his own people first and they didn't receive him. He was born a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And his own nationality, his own cultural group, his own subgroup of Galileans did not accept him. And what I see is here's this greatest gift ever given, the greatest gift of all time, and it's being rejected. And what I love about this is that the Savior of the world came, and the very first thing he experienced was rejection from fellow human beings. You see, the Bible says that he took on himself the curse. And every one of us have been cursed with a stigma of rejection. Whether it was at birth, whether it was from our birth parents, whether it was from our adoptive parents, whether it was from our childhood, our peers, our brothers, our sisters, or whether it was because of our nationality and our blood type. And I love the fact that God sends a gift and this gift takes on himself the same rejection that every one of us in this room have experienced. And he takes it on himself because his endeavor is to become the scourge and the curse and the hurt of humanity and then with that pain, nail it to the cross and die there so that if anyone could be simple enough to believe that the creator of the universe loves us so much that he would pay the price for our mistakes and for the mistakes done to us, that if we could receive this gift, even though it comes in plain brown wrapping paper, and understand the value of it, that that simple childlike faith would immediately jettison us into the presence of God and take us from being common sinners, broken people, shepherd boys in a field who didn't have much of a status in life, and we become sons 
of the Most High God. Come on. And so in the very first chapter of his gospel, John says in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to anyone who will accept him. Paul says this gospel is foolishness to the wise. Over and over again, we see Jesus saying and intimating that we've got to be like little kids and believe with simplicity. He didn't come to set and establish some deep uh, theological heady argument for why we need him. The argument he posed was that we're all broken and he loves broken people. And that's an argument that anyone and everyone can accept because broken people especially want to find honest love. Love without strings attached. Love me the way I am and you convince me you really love. Can I get an agreement? Turn to somebody and say, this guy's been reading my mail. He's been following around me around my life. John goes on to say, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, you could have been rejected at birth. You could have been despised. You could have been rejected in the middle of your life. You could have broken relationships, failed marriages. But the Bible tells me here that when we accept this simple gospel, I love the way this gospel started with a baby that no one had room for in the Holiday Inn. They had to find a manger. They wrapped him in swaddling cloths, the same cloth that they would wrap a newborn lamb in. How fitting that the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world was wrapped not in fine garment or riches, but he was wrapped in the sacrificial garment used for a young lamb that's about to go to the slaughter. I love the way this gospel starts. Plain paper brown wrapping. But when you open it up, it is the gift of the centuries. It is the gift of the universe. It is the gift that never stops giving. It's not only the gift of one-time salvation. It is the gift of a God who loves me and understands me every flipping day of my life. Hallelujah. The good days and the bad days. And when he says, behold, I will never ever leave you, that includes the days where I mess up the most. I thank God for such an amazing gift, Jesus Christ. We've been given the right to become sons of God, to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but children that are literally born of God. Whoa! One of the religious leaders came to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen talking to Jesus by day. He comes by night and says, Master, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. (laughs) 
Religion has painted that as a type of Christianity. That's one of the branches of Christianity. That's those born-again Christians. Listen, there's only one kind of Christian. It's a person who was born in a natural world and is broken and gets born into God's world and now becomes a child of the Most High. Amen. It's not a denomination. It's not a fad. It's not a type of Christianity. You can't even become a Christian until you are born a second time, and that is by accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God and God's ultimate sacrifice. He paid a price for my mess, the mess that people made on me and the mess that I made, and he paid a price, and he has put a price on my head, and that is that I am worth his life and he paid his life for me and he paid his life for you religion has a way of telling us how we're not worth it and yet the god who came to reveal himself paints a picture of how he thinks we are worth it come on give him a praise offering put your hands together let him know you appreciate the greatest gift of the universe. The people closest to me sometimes wonder about whether or not I'm worth loving. And the people closest to you sometimes will wonder. We have bad hair days. Some of us don't have any hair at all. <laughs> I'm praying that mine keeps growing. Me too. <laughs> But sometimes on our bad hair days, the people who know us closest don't always like us. And sometimes on some of the weird days I have, I don't even like me. But I love the fact that unlike religion, God, who came to reveal himself through Jesus Christ, always loves us always gets us and always wants to draw us closer to him. You see, all through your life, the greatest gift ever given has been popping up and we've either accepted it or we've rejected it. And sometimes even when we've accepted this greatest gift, he pops up because he wants more prominence in our life. And we push him aside for shinier toys or more expensive toys. And whether you've asked Jesus Christ in your heart and you're born again, or whether you've never done this before, this is strange, you've never heard a message preached like this in a church. It's not coming inside the walls that will paint you a Christian. It's letting Jesus come into your heart that will paint you a Christian. Can I get an agreement? Amen. And so I say to those of you that have never had this experience yet, you've never asked Christ in your heart, maybe you've, you, you, you've cast your shadow inside of churches all your life, but the issue and the question is, have you let Jesus Christ come inside your life? Have you invited him and welcomed him to live in you 
to be a part of you. This greatest gift is the gift that just keeps giving. And every day he gives me more and he gives me more and he gives me more. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. As they're coming forward, I want to challenge you today. Whether you're here from out of town visiting your family, or whether you live in town and you're here for the first time, whether you've been coming for the last six weeks, the truth of the matter is <laughs> grace and faith as a church coming here isn't what's going to save you or give you a relationship with God. We're here to point you how to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. You see... In the last few days of his life, Jesus sat down and had a meal with his disciples and he took the bread and he says, I want you to understand this is symbolic of my life. The same way the wheat was taken, the grains, they were crushed, they were smashed, they were ground down to find powder to make flour which makes this bread. This is symbolic of my life and I came into this world to be broken so that I could pay the price for you. You see, a simple loaf of bread doesn't look like much. And yes, I got my hands all over it. This isn't the bread you're going to eat. But he says, I want you to take this. I want you to understand how broken the grain had to become to produce this loaf of bread. And I want you to understand that I willingly allow my life to be broken. I want to identify with you. You know what I found? Most people want to identify with me and my successes. They want to identify with me when I've just preached the best message. People want to identify with me when I hit a high note. Very few people want to identify with me when I'm sad or going through a depression or when I was a broken person before I came to Jesus. When people are needy, some of us sometimes reach out, but sometimes their neediness goes beyond our generosity and we look for an exit door. What I love about this Jesus, he comes to us when we're needy. He comes to us when everybody else would never think of inviting themselves into our lives. You know, if a person is willing to accept you at your worst, you know they're going to be there when you're at your best. That's what I love about this Jesus. So he took this bread. He said, this is my body. I've allowed it to be crushed. I've allowed it to be broken. I want to identify with you in your brokenness. I want to identify with you in your neediness. When he came for me, I didn't look like this. And you get to see the outside version. I wash up good. But he sees the stuff in me that's still tattered and still getting mended. And I love the fact. And he loves me and has relationship with me. And he loves you and wants relationship with you. 
That's why I've done this for so many years. I am convinced of the God of this gospel. He is the best thing I have ever encountered. And I want everyone to meet this God of the gospel. You look hungry. Are you hungry? You want some bread? Yeah. Fresh baked today. I baked it today. Go on. You want some? You don't want it? Then I'll eat it, kid. Yeah. Try it. Mom, you take it for him. But you see, as simple as one young kid said yes and another said no, that's as simple how we either accept Jesus or say no. Tonight, you're here to celebrate Christmas with your family. Did you ever stop and think that maybe tonight you're here because God wants to celebrate life with you. And he's looking for an opportunity to come into your heart. Sometimes we get sidetracked by the big gifts, the colorful gifts, the expensive gifts. And we don't realize that the most common, simplest gift is actually the best gift. I'm going to ask my ushers to come down with communion emblems. Jesus, at that same meal, had some grape juice. And he said, guys, come on, grab your cups. He said, you see this? Let's say it's symbolic. They're going to bring you to real stuff. Yeah. We figured Christmas Eve, we're going to do the real thing. That, that, it's all symbolic, but you're on the premium service tonight. You came from Arkansas, so you're going to get some real grape juice and some real fresh bread. But if you could, for a moment, step into that room with me. And Jesus says, guys, I want you to take your cups for a moment. They had no idea what he was doing. Right up until even when he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, they didn't understand that he had to die. They were trying to prevent it. Could you imagine if Peter was successful and stopped Jesus from dying? We would all be so lost. I thank God that our stupidity can't get in the way, cannot get in the way and stop God's ingenuity. Can I get an agreement? Amen. And so Jesus picks up a <clears throat> probably a wooden chalice and says, guys, put some wine in your cup. You see this? You can't have wine unless grapes have been taken and crushed, broken. Now this one doesn't want to break. There you go. Until the life of it is squeezed out. This is symbolic of my blood, which is going to be squeezed out of my life. I'm giving up my life because I want you to have life. He said, I want you to eat this bread and understand I took a beating for you. And I wanted to feel the pain of every beating you ever took. For all the times you wanted to give up on life or give up your life, 
I want you to know I gave up mine for you. This is how much my father loves you. Guys, I'm going to die on the cross. Not to be a king that can be celebrated on earth, but to be a savior that will redeem you from your own mistakes. This is what the emblems of communion mean. This is all part of the Christmas gift. We think of the baby in swaddling cloth in the manger, but that Christmas gift was delivered on the cross. And that's when the gift of Christ or Christmas really took effect. Little did Peter know that day as he followed the lead of his Savior, his Master, his teacher, as he sipped on that wine, little did he realize that Jesus was literally going to be the Lamb of God sacrificed in his innocence for the sin of everyone else. He became the scapegoat. I want you to understand tonight, while the whole world is festive and celebrating Christmas, this is Christmas. God so loves you. His heart not only broke, his body was broken so that he could have relationship with us. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And just before my ushers start to hand out broken bread and little cups of grape juice. I want everyone to close their eyes because the only way to celebrate Christmas is to talk about the Christ who died on the cross. If we're really going to celebrate Christmas, that's the only way to celebrate Christmas because in God's agenda, Christmas was all about the Christ being crucified and people coming to God through his sacrifice. And so while every eye is closed, whatever reason brought you here today, whether it was just culture, family celebration, a season festivity, you're actually here because God wants to celebrate with you. And he wants to celebrate the opportunity of coming into your life. So while every eye is closed, if you have never asked Jesus into your heart, God wants to give you that moment right now. He wants to give you that opportunity. Because anybody who can believe like a little kid and accept this gospel immediately earns the right to become a child of God. I don't care what you've done wrong or what you've been involved in. I don't care who you have been. God loves you. And Jesus Christ died for you. So right now, while every eye remains closed, if God is talking to you, if your heart is being pulled, if you've walked away from God and you know it's time to come back, if you've never heard a gospel like this and never asked Jesus in your heart, come on, put your hand up right now and say, I want to accept. Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Right now, while every eye is closed, say yes, yes to Jesus. I receive him as my Savior. I thank you, Father, that even as we are live streaming this and people are hearing and tuning in 
And we thank you for decisions both here and on live stream. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life. Thank you for loving us. I'm going to ask all of you, and especially those of you who raised your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer with me and pray it with purpose because you're inviting Christ into your life. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray it so that we do it as one chorus of people. Dear God, I thank you for coming to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for counting us as someone you want to identify with. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for taking the rap, taking the hit for me, paying the price. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God. And I receive you today to come into my life. Come on, Jesus. I want you. I need you. And I welcome you. Live in me. And live through me. I accept you. I know you already accepted me. But I come to this place and time, and I accept you. Jesus Christ, forgive me of all my mistakes, and there are plenty. Cover them with the blood you shed on that cross. Today, I accept you as the ultimate sacrifice for my mistakes and I accept what you did for me and I accept you today my life is open to you and I am grateful to God that from tonight forward you Jesus Christ live inside me and everyone said Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Give each other a round of applause. I'm going to ask our worship team to continue leading us in the next bracket of praise and worship songs. And my ushers are going to pass the emblems. I encourage you, if you're here to celebrate Christmas, this is Christmas. This is the greatest gift. And this is the gift. That changes our life. Take the bread. Know it's symbolic of the body of Christ. Take the grape juice. And know it's symbolic of his blood. And as you have those emblems. Just hold them for a moment. And let's worship with the worship team. Thank you.